All right, great. Well, thanks for coming back for the second course, okay? Uh, I know the second course is always better than the first course, and uh, we don't have much, uh, many preliminary things to do uh, this evening, so I want to jump right into where we left off this morning, okay? And I would like to end with some uh, question and answer time, give time for that, but, and also a video presentation. But we've got to finish uh, what's before us here. And uh, just to do a little bit of review, we're talking about these five gears of missions. Just like any machine has gears, your car has gears, the clock has gears. If one of these things break, the whole thing breaks, right? And so we learned that it started out with the first gear of being called and sending. Uh, if there's no one going, the Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher, right? And uh, Romans chapter 10 asks this series of questions. Well, these gears kind of answer those questions. They, they can't hear without a preacher. And so God calls the local church and those in it to go and to send. And hopefully we, we realize that this morning. The second uh, thing, which is actually when the missionary goes to the field, the very first thing they focus on is evangelism. Preaching the gospel so that people get lost. There's no church plant without church people, okay? And our goal is not to go steal members from other churches, uh, but to go win the lost and have them organize into what we call a local church. And we studied this morning how the local church is not just the starting point, but the end goal and the new launching point to start new local churches. And it's all surrounded around the local church. But that evangelism is the first stage in establishing that local church because the church obviously are believers. And uh, then we get into discipleship, not just having spiritual babies and abandoning them. How terrible that would be if you came across a baby that was just cast uh, under a tree, right? Or found a baby on the street, a newborn. That baby wouldn't have long to survive. And the same is with baby Christians. If we're not involved in discipleship, if we're not taking young believers and ma- helping them mature in Christ, just like we do with our physical children, that process stops. There'll be no leadership training. There'll be no uh, reporting of a new local church has been established. And again, I want to I say that missions is changing today in, in, in an alarming, uh, some dangerous things are happening, okay, uh, to missions where it's becoming more just community-based projects and, and uh, maybe some a little bit of evangelism in there. But the good old-fashioned local church planting evangelism, discipleship, leadership training, replacing yourself as a missionary... Um, What I believe the Bible teaches as the five stages or the five gears. I like to say gears because they're constantly moving. Just because maybe we focused on evangelism our first couple years doesn't mean we stopped doing evangelism. Evangelism is still going on. And just over the last couple years, my focus as a missionary hasn't been evangelism. It's been leadership training. But those that I've discipled, are continuing on doing evangelism. You see, so they're, they're gears. They're constantly moving. And when this gear moves, it moves the next one, which moves the next one, which moves the next one. And so I think that concept, I don't like to call them stages. Stages tend to see like, well, there was a beginning and then it ended and then we start this one. Honestly, I stopped going on our, evangel- our weekly evangelism a couple years ago. And you say, wait a second, you're supposed to be a missionary and we support you to go over there and win souls. I know, but let me explain. I've trained a team to do that, 
And now they're still doing evangelism, but I'm encouraging and teaching them as they do it. Reason because when the missionary shows up for evangelism, knocks on the door and goes into a house, it totally changes the dynamic of what's going on there. The same as if you would go visit your neighbors with your pastor. They would act a little different than if you just saw them out raking leaves and you went up to strike a conversation with them. As soon as you said, hey, here's my pastor, uh, they would kind of take a step back. That's the same that happens with missionaries, especially foreign missionaries. It kind of changes the atmosphere. And so we are concentrating right now on leadership training, training those who will continue on doing the work. When we first started, I was leading the songs, taking the offerings, counting the offerings, opening the door, locking the door, you know, washing the communion cups, doing everything, okay? But now we've kind of got to that point where as we continue to disciple, those that we've discipled are continuing to do evangelism. Those that we've discipled are continuing to do discipleship. And now we're starting into what we call leadership training. Let's see that in the Bible, okay? Obviously, this morning we saw how the local church in Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas. They were there to start churches. We saw how they started with evangelism. After they reached people with Christ in those first cities in the first missionary journey, they returned to all those cities, and they strengthened the believers. We saw that in the Bible. And again, this is, this is a pattern. This is something that continuously happens, but it's also a progression. So... The next uh, stage we want to look out here, there we go, leadership training, leadership training. What did they do when they went back to these churches, Acts chapter 14, and in verse 23, let's read that. And it says, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So the next stage or the next gear after confirming the souls and exhorting them. Uh, They strengthened those new believers, but they did not leave them without biblically qualified leadership. The word here, the election of leadership, means they ordained. The Bible says they ordained them elders, or they elected, which means to set apart or to choose Now, an elder, obviously, depending on the translation you're using here, we can interpret that as a pastor, a leader, uh, a bishop, many ways that it's interpreted in the Bible, but that leadership, elders, and again, in every church, not a board of elders to, you know, kind of oversee all the churches in that region, but in every church, the Bible says, they ordained or they chose, they elected leadership, biblically qualified leadership. It took us 15 years to have biblically qualified leadership in our church. Now, that sounds, wow, what what do you mean biblically qualified? Maybe you're putting too many rules in regular. I was just going on 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 3. The biblical qualifications for leadership took us 15 years to find three biblically qualified deacons. Now, that's a long time. You can't do that in in a short amount of time. There's no shortcuts to doing it the Bible way, the biblical way. Um, The danger of establishing leadership too quickly, and we've made that mistake in a few of our village churches, is putting someone in leadership too soon that wasn't biblically qualified or perhaps the church wasn't ready. It it makes things kind of go backwards. I shared this morning about the Basotu church who's really struggling without without a biblically qualified leader there. And they're not growing. They're just kind of fledgling. And until God calls someone, a biblically qualified leader there uh, for us to train, it's going to be 
uh, just a church that's kind of fledgling around. And so the training of leadership, we see the Apostle Paul did this. And when they had ordained elders in every church and they prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So we see the election of leadership, but also I put down here the education of leadership. Um, Not that we need to have master's degrees and doctor's degrees to uh, do the Lord's work. Obviously, the more you study, I think if you do it with the right heart attitude, could be a benefit. Um, But there's two types of education that we've been focusing, and I'm going to show you some pictures here in a second. Theological education and practical education. All right, theological meaning there's no Bible colleges in Tanzania that we can send our guys to. The Bible college was me sitting across the desk from the guy I've been training and mentoring for 10 years named Richard, which you're going to meet here in a second by way of picture. There's no, okay, go off for four or five years, go study, and then we'll have some work for you to do. Maybe you can come back and do an internship. It's all within the local church context there. And so that theological education, if there's one great need in our part of the world right now, and I could probably say in a lot of part of the world right now, is not necessary evangelism or even church planting, but it's theological education for pastors. Most of the pastors in Tanzania that are pastoring a church have very little theological education. A case in point, I shared this with pastor yesterday. The prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, the uh, false gospel work salvation is rampant in Tanzania. Uh, About two years ago now, there was a big tent revival, and the evangelist was speaking and ranting and raving and doing what he said. He had about a 10 by 12 carpet in front. And there's a couple thousand people at this outdoor meeting. And he poured some oil on this carpet, okay, all in the name of God and Christ and the Bible, and poured this oil on and said, the first people that can get to this carpet, whatever ailment you have, if you stand on this carpet, you'll be, you'll be healed of your ailment. Well, you can guess what happened. There was a stampede. Seven people were trampled to death over that false teaching. All in the name of God. If there's a need right now in East Africa and perhaps in other parts of the world, it's theological training for those that are out pastoring. As a result of that, now the Tanzanian government is starting to make pastors have a certain level of theological education. They're requiring them. You say, well, that that sounds good in the light of that story, but what's happening is it's making the government now get involved in local churches and determining who can be a pastor and who can't. And so we see these situations going on. Theological education, but also practical application. I believe we learn more from the practical application of what we're learning than from a book. I learn more in ministry training by actually doing the ministry. And so when someone's done accordingly, I was not ready for ministry when I was done with Bible college, although I was taught well and studied for six years. I learned most of that practical ministry where? In ministry, in practical ministry. So not only is it theological education, but practical education. And then what did they do? They, they elected, they educated, but they also they entrusted the leadership. They laid hands on them. They prayed for them. And then the Bible says they commended them to the Lord and they gave them back to God. This is the Lord's work. This is God's churches. They didn't stay up there and oversee them and kind of like dictators, you know, determine Paul had a relationship with those churches that he started. 
started, but these were independent local churches with their own leadership, their own election, their, their, their own uh, way to move forward. Let's look at a few pictures on how we focused on training national leadership, on training Tanzanian leadership in the local church there. This is Rich. Rich came to us while he was uh, unmarried in his mid-20s. He was, knew the Lord, but got, was received Christ when he was a small child, but really a kind of a prodigal, running from home, uh, was involved in all kinds of things uh, that I won't get into, but just living a worldly lifestyle. He came to the Truth Center because we had a pool table, okay? And I remember the first couple of times he came to play pool in our youth room, uh, we had to ask him to leave. He was using some foul language, and we said, Rich, you can't talk like that here, and so... He had to leave, but the Lord got a hold of his heart, and he started our discipleship lessons and rededicated his life and started working uh, there at the church. Uh, two days a week, he would come and just volunteer his time. He was a welder, and so he had a little welding machine in town, and he was welding these things. And uh, he eventually joined our Bible Institute, was in our class one of our Bible Institute, where they're studying basic Bible doctrines. And he says, I feel the Lord's calling me to be in the ministry. What does that mean? And I said, well, congratulations, but also polisana, which means get ready for it. You know, I feel sorry for him because I knew there's going to be a spiritual battle that would happen in his life. And sure enough, uh, he started getting all kinds of, uh, of hurdles to jump through when he dedicated his life to serve the Lord. But uh, after dedicating his time, two, three days a week turned into four, turned into five, and then we were able to, I was able to suggest to the church that he become the assistant pastor after three to four years of being faithful there at the church. After three or four years of faithfulness, he became the assistant pastor, pretty much in charge of our youth, uh, doing our youth night, uh, was able to help me uh, preach from time to time, but was really just kind of my right-hand man there in Tanzania at the Truth Center. Uh, now he's been with us 10 years. And uh, after Rich finished our Bible Institute, we started teaching um, some other lessons for Rich called Biblical Training Center for Pastors. It's BTCP for short. It's a program that's being used all over the world to train national pastors that are in the work. So Rich uh, finished those classes uh, just a few months before we left Tanzania. Sometimes it would just be him and I across the desk there in the office going through Old Testament survey and New Testament survey and, and the life of Christ and, and uh, Christian living and how to prepare biblical messages. Sometimes we would have other pastors come in and we would do a block class with pastors from other uh, Baptist churches around Tanzania. And so this is the day where he got his... Uh, certificate, and we were able to ordain him, recognize God's calling in his life after 10 years of faithfulness in the local church, learning his, the theology, practical education, being there. And my really, my time over the last three to five years has been pretty much this guy right here. Matter of fact, he was watching the service this morning, and I think he's going to be watching later because it's nighttime. Can we all just say hi to Rich and that we're praying for him? Is that okay? Because he's going to be watching, so I don't know where the camera is, but I'm going to count to three and everyone just say, hey, Rich, we're praying for you. Can we do that? 
One, two, three. Hi, Rich. We're praying for you. All right, Rich, you got a lot of people praying for you. Stay faithful. I know you're watching this, and uh, he'll probably have to rewind it a few times to get the English but because uh, I'm going really fast. But uh, this is Rich. He, the God is using him greatly. Between these two services, morning and evening service, he sent me another text and said, three young ladies received Christ as their Savior this evening in the youth service as they sat down with someone else to go through the discipleship lessons. They were given a discipleship lesson. They came to meet with a discipler. As they're going through the lesson, realized they had not made a decision to ever trust Christ. And three young ladies received Christ today in Tanzania through this whole process that I'm talking about. And so uh, Rich was ordained uh, back in April of last year and uh, still is the uh, assistant pastor officially. But like most assistant pastors, he's doing most of the work, right? Is there amens out there from the assistant pastors? The guys are back there giving me thumbs up. So uh, he's doing most of the work, really, uh, of the pastoring work. And my job really has been rich, has been preparing him for leadership. Uh, But not only rich, we have these three deacons that, uh, like I said, took us 15 years. These are our men from our church that have been faithful for years. The guy on the left there is Mze Elias. Elias is Ema's dad. Remember Ema from this morning, the young 10-year-old that passed away? That's his father. Faithful guy. He gets up in front of a pulpit and his knees start knocking. He can't put two words together there. But as far as getting stuff done around the church, cutting the grass, doing those behind-the-scenes ministries. Elias is a guy. He can chop more wood than a woodchuck could chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood, right? Uh, Works for the school (laughs) and just a servant, servant guy, humble guy. The guy in the middle there is Yesiah. He's been with us since he's been 15 years old in high school. Our church was able to sponsor him to go to teacher's college for two years. He's now back at the school. He taught for five years as just a normal teacher. Now he's the principal of our Christian school. He oversees 200 plus students and 30 staff. Yesiah is, if I had a left-hand man, he would be the left-hand man, okay? Him and Rich are partnering. When Rich can't preach, Yesiah preaches. He's been through our Bible Institute uh, totally qualified leader. He does have the gift of teaching, which uh, M.Z. Elias doesn't. But again, we know the Bible teaches that it's not necessary for deacons to teach. And so Yesiah, he fills in the pulpit from time to time. M.Z. Elias, the guy on the right there is uh, Joseph. And he again is uh, a servant leader. He's a night guard at the Truth Center. But he is the one that is overseeing that new Bible study on Thursdays out in the village where you saw everyone sitting under the tree. That's his ministry. And so we have these three deacons that are fulfilling the biblical role of deacons. There's no shortcuts. It took us a long time to get to this stage. Uh, but those are, that's the leadership within the Truth Baptist Church right now. Rich and these three deacons. We also are involved in training pastors from other churches. The Truth Center is open a couple times a year when the school is closed. All the students go away, and and these pastors can come in and stay at our facility. And this is one of the block classes that we taught. They come in for a week to two weeks, and we do theological training there for pastors that are already pastoring. This isn't like a Bible preacher boys coming in that are think they're already in ministry. They have families. They have uh, responsibilities. So they come into the Truth Center for a week to two weeks and take these block classes and uh, through the same training that Rich was getting. 
Uh, ironically, just a few months ago, Rich was asked to teach one of these block classes. In my last prayer letter, I said, the student has become the teacher, those that get our prayer letter. Now Rich, instead of being a student, is now teaching the same stuff he was taught and that's how it's supposed to work. First, Second Timothy 2, 2 says, The things which thou hast learned of me, teach unto faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And so we're, not, we're, we're teaching guys who are now teaching guys. Rich has his disciples that he's leading. He's got his guys that he's... When Yahshua or Joshua is one of the guys that he's mentoring and training using the same methods, the same things that I used with him. So it's such a joy to see this. These gears keep on working. They keep on turning. And when it's done, I think the biblical way, it takes longer. There's no shortcuts. But man, when it works, it is such a blessing to see God at work during, during this time. This is an example of some of the material that they're learning. As you can see here, this is kind of a chart of the end times. You can see the seven trumpets and the seven seals and the church being raptured there and, and the second coming of Christ. So this isn't just light stuff. This is... Uh, good biblical doctrine that we're teaching these guys uh, in these classes. Let's move on to the fifth gear, okay? What happened with Paul and Barnabas after they, okay, now remember, they started here in Antioch. They felt God calling them. The church called, was called to send. They did evangelism. People got saved. Then they turned around, went back to those same churches, discipled them, leader, put leaders in, now, where are they headed? They're heading back to where they started, okay? Acts chapter 14, at the end of the chapter. Let's go ahead and look at verses 21, sorry, 23. I'm sorry again. Acts 23, Acts 14 and verse 26. Thank you, 26. It says, and thence they sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. And when they were come together, or when they were come, they had gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode a long time with the disciples. So where do we see Paul and Barnabas in this last stage? They're going back to where they were sent from, Antioch. After that first missionary journey, matter of fact, after every missionary journey, if you look at your Bible maps, you see that blue line started at Antioch, they went around, and then they came back to Antioch. Second missionary journey, left from Antioch, went around to different parts of Asia Minor, and then came back to where? Antioch. And so it started and it ended with their local church. They had to give a report to their church. They reported what they did. Again, it says it pretty simply and plainly here in verse 26. Uh, they said that, sorry, verse 27, and when they were come, they gathered the church together and they rehearsed, they gave a report, they went over all that God had done with them. I love how it's worded here. Don't miss it. It's very important. Not all they had done for God. <laughs> There's a big difference. When we talk about missions, we're not talking about what we're doing for God. We're talking about what God is doing with us. Please don't mistake what missions is about. Many, many times after a missionary presentation, a conference, we're back at the table. We're talking to people and 
some good-hearted person will come up and say, you know, I could never do what you're doing. And I know what they're saying. I get it. You know, I don't want to be argumentative. But I want to say, you know what? Neither can we. Because it's not us doing it. It's the Lord doing it. And that's how it's, I think it's worded that way on purpose. It says, all that God had done with them. See, they were passive in it. It was God who was doing it. They were just the instruments. How silly it would be for me to look at this pulpit and say, man, that was a great hammer that built that pulpit. They must have used some really good quality sandpaper and varnish. No, we wouldn't say that. We'd say, whoever constructed this pulpit, whoever held that hammer and that sandpaper in their hand and that ruler in their hand and measured and put this together was a craftsman. It's not the instruments that get praised, but it's rather whoever's holding the instruments. So as we go into this next gear and we're about to show you a video, please don't mistakenly give us the credit. We don't deserve it, number one, and there's no way we could accomplish what has happened in Tanzania ourselves. I don't say that to be pridefully humble. I say that honestly. As I look at this, I say, man, Lord, there's no way we could accomplish what you've done in Tanzania. And that's what they did. They gathered the church together, and they gave a report to the local church that had sent them. They were focused on the accountability of the local church that sent them. They were reporting. And without a doubt, this report meant great rejoicing. How people, how Gentiles had come to believe in the Lord. I believe that there was rejoicing as this report was given. And then lastly, the refreshing. It says, there they abode a long time with the disciples. Why do missionaries take furloughs? Why do we go through all that trouble getting on a plane with our family and leaving our ministries over there and, and, and going through all the, it's expensive, you know, and going through all the culture shock here and there? Well, number one, I think it's in the Bible. The Apostle Paul went back to Antioch. We don't know for how long of time he spent there, but it says there they abode a long time with the disciples. I don't think it was just a quick trip. They abode a long time there. They spent time with their local church. They were spiritually refreshed. They were physically refreshed during that time. So there was a refreshing of the missionary. Missionaries that go to the field and come back for furlough, and again, we use that word furlough, an old military term for being kind of on leave. And other missionaries will tell you, if they're honest, sometimes furloughs more work than the field. <laughs> we got an amen there. <laughs> and again, we're not complaining, but sometimes we feel more exhausted by the reporting in churches and staying in, 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 in hotels and people's houses and, 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 and wonderful facilities that, we're, that we get to stay in most of the time. But sometimes there's a challenge there and carting around the kids and getting fat uh, on American food. You know, we can sometimes go back to the field and we're totally exhausted. And as you have missionaries in, I'll just be totally transparent with you. Just let them rest. Don't expect them to go to every single function and every... Uh, let them have some vacation time. 
to be refreshed with their family, get reconnected with grandma and grandpa. Guess what? Missionary kids have grandma and grandpa too. That's why my kids didn't join me this trip. They're with grandma and grandpa. They don't get to see them very often. And so they were, I believe there was, this was a time of not only reporting, but refreshment and rejoicing. A time to get recharged, to get back out there on the field. I don't know any other better way to show you what's been going on in Tanzania than by a short video. I could talk and talk and talk, and, and, and you wouldn't get, I wouldn't cover it all. And not the video doesn't cover it all, but it kind of gives you a, a, a good picture of everything that's going on in Tanzania. And I just want to kind of do what the Apostle Paul did here. Come back to Antioch, say, look at what God has done with us. And when I say with us, I don't mean with us. I mean with us. You understand? You're part of what you're about to see. By your prayers, by your faithful giving, by your being partners with us in ministry, you are able to rejoice tonight in what God is doing with us all together. Let's take a look at that video if we can. We are the Burkholder family, missionaries in Tanzania. Tanzania is a large country in East Africa that is known for its abundant wildlife that is found throughout the country. There is also natural beauty, such as the tropical coast, open plains, deep craters, and snow-capped mountains. Most of all, Tanzania is known for its friendly people, who are happy and hospitable. Spiritually, there is great openness to the gospel, and endless opportunity for ministry. After arriving in Tanzania in 2001, we learned the language of Kiswahili and the culture while getting experience in existing ministries. In 2004, the Lord led us to the small town of Katesh. Katesh is a small town in the Hanang district located in north-central Tanzania. We started a new church with a few families in our living room, and after a few months, we began to meet in a small rented building in town. The Lord slowly brought new believers as the church began to grow. In 2005, the church got its own property and the construction of the Truth Center was completed in 2007. The Truth Baptist Church was excited to have its own building to continue to reach out into the community. For the past 15 years, the church has been striving to reach the small town of Katesh through weekly evangelism, sports ministries, Bible clubs, and youth meetings. Those who trust Christ are encouraged to continue in their faith in personal discipleship lessons being taught by a faithful member of the church. There are also ministries to help believers mature in Christ, such as a weekly small group Bible study, monthly men's and ladies meetings, and weekly youth meetings. The Lord has steadily built His church over the years, and we now have an average attendance of 130. Many of these members are serving weekly in the different ministries of the church, such as home visitation, church cleaning, praise team, and children's ministry. The Lord blessed the Truth Baptist Church with being able to be involved in starting three churches in the surrounding villages. These churches continue to fellowship and encourage each other, getting together for Bible conferences, youth meetings, seminars, and Bible Institute. Over the last couple of years, our focus has been on training leaders in all the different ministries of the True Center, as our roles have changed from doing daily ministry to teaching those who will continue to serve and to lead others.
One of the most valuable ministries we have used in training servant leaders in the local church has been our Bible Institute. Through this ministry, church members learn the basic truths of the Bible and serve in practical ways in the local church. As church members continue to be faithful, they begin to lead a ministry in the church. It is through the Bible Institute ministry that church members mature in their relationship with the Lord and continue to serve others using their own spiritual gifts. Another way the church has reached out into the community over the last 13 years is through the ministry of a Christian school. The Truth Learning Center was started as a small nursery school with just eight students and two teachers. The Lord blessed the Truth Learning Center, and currently there are over 200 students from nursery to seventh grade. Students have daily Bible classes and weekly chapel. Many of these students have come to know Christ as their personal Savior. The Matthew House and Timothy House provide students who come from far away the opportunity to attend the school as they live on campus. Not only is the school ministry a blessing to the students and families in the community, but also to the teachers and staff who can earn a steady income in a Christian environment. The school ministry is currently being led by those whom we have trained. Yesiah has been part of the church since he was a teenager. After years of faithfulness, he now serves as the principal for the school and oversees this ministry as a servant leader. God is also using the ministry of the Truth Center to train local church pastors. These pastors come from other areas of Tanzania for teaching sessions that are one to two weeks long. Pastors' classes include Bible doctrines, preparing biblical messages, evangelism, and missions along with other foundational classes. This training gives the local church pastors the Bible knowledge and practical teaching on how to effectively pastor the local church. An example of one of the pastors who has benefited from this training is Richard. Richard has been serving as our assistant pastor for nine years. He has slowly been given more responsibility through the years as he has proved himself faithful. He recently completed all of the pastoral training courses. It was a joy to officially ordain him and recognize God's calling on his life. He is currently doing most of the pastoral duties of the church and gaining the respect from the members as the spiritual leader. Pastor Richard is assisted in the local church ministries by three newly chosen deacons who each have a ministry which they oversee in the church. Because we have taught the biblical principles of giving and financial accountability, all of the ministries of the True Center are financially independent and providing for themselves. It has been a joy to see the ministries that we have started throughout the years continue to mature and are almost independent. Another ministry that the Lord has given us a burden for is the ministry of missionary care. Most missionaries struggle with burnout, stress, interpersonal conflicts, and cultural challenges. There is very little help for the missionaries on the field, and as a result, some missionaries are leaving the mission field. It is for that reason that we started the SALT Conference. The SALT Conference is an enrichment conference for missionary families on the field where they serve. One of the main goals of the SALT Conference is to encourage missionaries through God's Word. The SALT Conference also allows missionaries serving in the same culture an opportunity for much-needed fellowship as they have times of worship and missionaries sharing personal testimonies. The SALT Conference gives a chance for the missionary youth to socialize and make meaningful friendships as they share the experiences with other missionary youth who truly understand them. Children at the SALT Conference have fun together during lessons and playing games as they can easily relate to each other. 
A ministry team from a church in America ministers to the missionaries during this week-long conference, and as they get to know the missionary families, their lives are changed forever as well. It has been a joy to live and to raise a family in Tanzania. We have had a lot of fun adventures, from the very tip to the very top of Africa as we have journeyed together. The highlight has been ministering together as a family in Tanzania, as all of our children were involved in the weekly ministry. Please pray for our family as we transition Hannah and Caleb to finish high school in the USA and then stay in America for the next stage of life. Please also pray for us as we return to Tanzania to finish the vision God has given us at the Truth Center. And please continue to pray for us as we seek the Lord on how He would use us in the future. Thank you for your prayers, and God bless you for your partnership. So I just want to praise the Lord this evening on what he's doing in Tanzania. And again, I just want to say it's through us, it's through your partnership. You're called to send, we're called to go, and when everyone obeys that, God does marvelous things.